Our replay this week is an episode that was our first of season two back in January before COVID hit. We talked with children's librarian with the Louisville Free Public Library System, William Sutton. If you are anything like Carrie and I, you are sorely missing your libraries and the dedicated people who staff them. In fact, our library system in Louisville, Kentucky furloughed the majority of librarians for three months, and only in the last month have patrons been able to do curbside pickup for book holds. In fact, I think I have requested more books from the library than usual, just so I have reason to go to my local library, even if I can't go inside. Just this week, many of our furloughed librarians have been called back. So, in honor of libraries, their people, and what libraries mean to our lives, we give you this library episode with William. We will be back next week with all new episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss a show. Books and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Our guest today is what Mr. Rogers would call a helper. I first saw William Sutton on Kentucky Educational Television, the PBS affiliate, where he was interviewed about his work with children, and it was obvious that he was something special. William works in the children's department of the Portland branch of the Louisville Free Public Library System. Portland is one of the largest neighborhoods in Louisville, and one that has a long and rich history. In the late 1800s, it had the first trolley line from downtown, and was the welcoming home to many waves of immigrants, including Irish and German. In recent years, this neighborhood has hit hard times. It has one of the lowest income levels in the city, but it is experiencing a rebirth with numerous art galleries, retail stores, and restaurants coming to the area. Nowhere is the small community spirit more evident, though, than in its neighborhood library. William Sutton is a favorite face there, and you will see why. His joy in his work is infectious. He talks to us about why being a black male in a female-heavy field is important for children to see, how comic books built the basis for his literary life, and why black superheroes can be an inspiration for teens to find the strength in themselves. After a bit of a hiatus, Amy and I are back, and we have ventured down to the Portland branch of the Louisville Free Public Library, and we are here with William Sutton, who is a children's library assistant at the Portland branch. So welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I saw you on TV. It was with KET. And when I saw it, I was just so impressed with you that I texted Carrie and I'm like, we have to have this guy on the show. So here you are. And tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to the Portland Library. Well, I've been with the uh, library itself since 2013. In fact, coming up here on uh, January the 7th, It'll mark my seventh year with the library, and it's, it's amazing how time flies. Are you a native Louisvillian? 
Yes, I am. Okay. Born and raised. Okay. <laughs> do you live close to the library? Actually, I do. And me and my wife actually live about six blocks away from here uh, on Northwestern Parkway. We moved there just before I actually started working here at the Portland branch. In fact, my coming here was kind of uh, a part of having lived right there because it was so convenient. Just being able to be so close to home, uh, it, it played a big part in it, and I'm glad that I made the move. It, it, it's just been uh, an awesome time here at Portland. So tell us a little bit about what you do on a on any given day, and I know that can change from day to day, but tell us a little bit about some of your responsibilities that you do here at the Portland branch. As a library assistant in general, I do get to serve patrons that come in on a daily basis and if they need to check out items and get to do that if they need any help trying to locate certain books I get to do that as well and if they need help with technical things involving just any type of computer related help uh, I get to do that that is something that is kind of common patrons will come in uh, some that don't really feel fairly comfortable using a computer, they'll ask for our help on that and that's something that we can provide. So I get to, to do that on a daily basis. In addition to that, being a youth services children's librarian, I get to plan events and different activities that are uh, geared specifically toward children and teens. And I get to do outreaches to schools and other places which is where you got yes, to see yes. got to see that clip uh, on KET uh, at Neighborhood House. So I get to go to various places to do story times with uh, young folks. So one of the things that I think is cool is that you do live in the neighborhood of the library that you work. So you're very mm-hmm. familiar with the neighborhood and the needs of this community and the patrons. So tell us a little bit about Portland and about this branch and how it fits into the larger community. Uh, the Portland Branch Library here is is actually one of the oldest libraries in the LFPL system. Um, I believe it's the third oldest one. It was first established in uh, 1905, but this particular building that we're in was built in 19, was opened anyway in 1913, and it was a, uh, it was funded by uh, the Carnegie Foundation. So it's one of the few Carnegie libraries that is actually still in operation within the system. It is a uh, what's considered a neighborhood branch library. There are pretty much three classifications of libraries within the LFPL system. Uh, you have neighborhood, community, and regional. And regionals are the super huge uh, libraries that are just awesome in scope. But as a neighborhood branch, we get to serve the the residents of Portland. And so it it really has, because Portland is kind of like a small town in and of itself, we get to uh, be part of that small town environment and atmosphere. So I feel good because we get to know our uh, our patrons on a first name basis or last name, however they prefer. But we get to see them on an ongoing basis and get to know their personalities and 
get to have nice conversations with them, and that makes it nice working here. Do the residents sort of feel a, a certain loyalty to the Portland branch because it is their closest neighborhood branch? I really believe so. I think they do take it as a personal possession of theirs, which is great to, to see and experience. I know that the library, along with Metro as a whole, went through this whole situation with the budget and things were really on shaky grounds for a lot of the the branches. And so uh, we would hear from our patrons and they were just, a lot of them up in arms, just wondering if this was gonna shut down and, and go the way of the dinosaur too. But thankfully, uh, that did not happen. And so we're able to see and hear uh, how people really appreciated the library here. Some of our regulars, they just on a daily basis will express how much they really enjoy having this library here and how much the staff here is helpful. Uh, we've gotten Christmas cards from some of our patrons and thank you cards and it uh, is really satisfying. What kind of partnerships does the Portland Library have with some of the local schools and, and organizations? The uh, schools that are in the area, in fact, Portland Elementary is right down the street. One thing that has been an ongoing thing uh, actually since I even started with the Portland branch is that their kindergarten classes, it's just uh, half a block away. Yeah. And so their kindergartner garden classes will walk down here to have a story time visit with the library. So I get to uh, once a month have about, oh, 50, 60. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of kindergartners. <laughs> in our auditorium downstairs to enjoy songs and story time. And it's it's always a blast when they come. It's always a blast. I love it. So the KET clip showed you doing a story time, I think at Neighborhood House, was, yes. which is a local nonprofit that also has a daycare. Is that right. correct? That's correct. So do you go over there every month? And are there other daycares that you go to in the area? With Neighborhood House, I do get to go there usually twice a month, and I get to read to... Uh, Usually three classes, three preschool classes there. Uh, there's a, they're three-year-olds. And then there are some other, a couple of pre-K classes where there are four and five-year-olds. And that is always a great time. What it's do you like about it? Time. Whenever I go there, it's, it's, it's amazing. The kids just are excited and they run to me and they're just really just kind of like in awe whenever I show up there. Mr. Sutton, Mr. Sutton. And, yeah, and it makes me feel like a, a rock star almost. It's, it's That's awesome. hard not to love. I know, yeah, right? I know. Yeah. I would be scared if I was the one having to pick the books that I would just pick all the books that I love without <laughs> thinking like what what are they gonna like? So do uh -huh. you ever struggle with that? Maybe a maybe a little bit, but what I have found is that if I love the book, then I'll read it and uh, the way that hopefully I present it, 
transfers that love to them, and they are excited about it. And I guess the opposite's true too. If you pick a book that yeah. you don't, that doesn't resonate with you, your presentation might not be as great. Right. And then they're going to be like, "Man, that was a dud." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll they'll let me know. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> well, tell us some of your secrets of the trade. What are some ways that you make the story time fun for the kids, or make the reading come alive for them? I definitely try to connect with them and just try to have fun with them and connect with them in a really friendly, positive manner. Just as they uh, are excited to see me, I reflect that excitement back to them. And I am genuinely excited to see them as well. And so I believe that helps uh, letting them know that I really care about them and and just bringing a compassion to them. And then in the storytelling and story phase, I usually sing some songs with them. So that helps create a certain mood of playfulness uh, and, and, and entertainment. And then in terms of presenting the book itself, I try to ask them questions and get them involved in the whole reading and telling of the story too. So they give me their ideas on uh, on what they think is going to happen or how they feel about a certain thing happening within a story. And so in just trying to involve them as much as I can, it makes the whole storytelling process exciting and, and entertaining and fun. Librarians often tend to be women. And same with, you know, like daycare workers and elementary school teachers. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel are some some of the benefits for you and for the kids of them seeing a, a male role model in a library role? Mm. One, I think just for them to be able to see that we do exist. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> a unicorn. <laughs> like a unicorn, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that there are men who want to work within the library systems and want to be children's librarians to be able to connect with kids and and show them that there is a a, a sense of nurturing that even males can do and present and and there's a sense of compassion that we can share to uh, young people, to children as well, and and that we can enjoy being in their uh, presence and connecting with them and having a good time with them. And that that's not a, um, what, what can I say, a non-macho thing yeah. to be able to connect with a child. Yeah. I also think that boys tend at certain ages to think that reading is not cool. Mm. I would just think it would be really awesome to have male librarians for younger kids to show them that it is cool Mm -hmm. and that men can read. And that's pretty awesome. I have a fourth grader and he has his first male teacher this year you know and he was so excited he's like i've got a boy teacher i'm like i know they exist you know but you know i mean just a lot of times you see more females in certain roles and so it's really cool to see a male you know as you said showing lots of different facets of what a man can be 
yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, once upon a time, I worked as a, uh, a substitute teacher within the JCPS school system and with Greater Clark in uh, Indiana as well. I spent a little time there. As you said, the same kind of situation is within the educational system where you have a few male teachers uh, involved. I believe it, it is really a good thing for kids to see that males can be involved in those types of, of positions as well. Have there been any challenges to being a male in a female-heavy profession? It's been great. I've been accepted, I would uh -huh. say, in every part of LFPL that I've had the privilege of being. I've always felt a sense of acceptance, which is great. I always felt like I was a part and have been a part of uh, what's going on within this, this system and within the atmosphere. And so there haven't really been any challenges in that sense. I may have had a few times where myself felt, well, this is something that's different, and maybe I've had to uh, overcome my own seeming maybe inadequacies uh. to be able to know that I belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you feel like it was maybe more what you were telling yourself more than what other people were telling you. Right, okay. right, right. Okay. Yeah. What drew you to become a, a children's librarian? I would almost call it just really a, an awesome accident, really a beautiful accident, because I'd never planned on being a librarian or working within the library system. I had had the background of of working with children and young folks for a while. I worked with uh, JCPS for probably about seven years, I think. Before even that, I'd done some work uh, with some friends who had a private Christian school. And I worked for the Louisville Central Community Centers right before I started with the library as a youth worker there. And so it just seemed that, one, I had built up this resume, if you will, of, of having jobs and positions of working with kids and young, young people, which, which I've enjoyed. The way in which I got to start with the library actually was through my daughter, who also works as a children's L.A. at the main branch library. Uh, hello, Rikita. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and she's awesome. But she uh, worked for the library before I did. Because I know just from teaching and having kids myself that a lot mm. of times as kids get older, they seem to just not gravitate towards books the way they do when they're younger. So do you all have any kind of partnerships or you, you had mentioned doing outreach. Do you do that with any of the middle and high schools? Western Middle School is uh, close by. And uh, I do try to connect with them in terms of sending out info about some of the programs that we have here. One thing that I try to do is have a, a teen night. It actually happens every Thursday, either 4.30 or 5, uh, depending on the, uh, the activity. Usually if I'm showing a movie, I'll try to uh, start that around 4.30 to give it time. I try to get information to some of the staff there at Western about some of the activities that we have. 
I have something called Ting Art Smart Club uh, that I've been doing since I've been here at Portland. And I usually have that every first and third Thursday of every month. And I started that because uh, my background is actually in art. It's where I got my bachelor's in and with graphic design as a concentration. And so uh, I've always loved art. And so I came up with that idea as a way to kind of transfer what I love and share it with young people. And so it's something that can differ on any given time. Sometimes I may have six, seven young people that have come. There have been some times when I've had more, which is which is great for us. Um, and then sometimes there may be a couple. So it does kind of ebb and flow. Yeah, but uh, anytime any of the young folks come, uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. You had mentioned your love of kind of art and drawing. Mm-hmm. And you've also done some superhero activities. So tell us a little bit about, are those connected? And yes. tell us a little bit about how that got started and the whole superheroes part of what you've done at the Portland branch. When I was a kid, preteen and teenager, me and my friends, we just really loved comic books back at that time. No, we call them graphic novels <laughs> yeah. now. We graduated, but just loved comic books. And all of us would go down to the neighborhood store and we knew what day the new comics would come in. So we'd just be excited to to go down there and, and see what was new. And I think for a while there, there wasn't a week that I didn't at least buy one comic book to read and enjoy. And it's, it's kind of funny because I think back then, if you had told me that, that I was reading, actually reading when I was enjoying these comic books about Hulk, Thor, and Spider-Man, and, and on and on, I never would have believed you that I was actually, I mean, not that I had any aversion to reading, but I wouldn't have believed you that I was actually uh, building a literary base for my life in terms of reading about these uh, amazing characters. Me and my friends, we just fell in love with these characters and their stories. And that love of those characters has never really, really waned for me. And so um, I still like superheroes and I kind of like in in cinematic heaven now. That <laughs> with all the Marvel. All the Marvel oh, movies that have yeah. come out because they've really uh, done an awesome job of bringing to life what me and my friends read about back then, some 30 years ago. It's amazing. Were you always interested in art or did the comic books maybe build your interest in art? How did how did that connect? It kind of worked uh, hand in hand in a way. I remember developing a love for drawing probably when I was in the, oh, the third grade. I had a friend, he wasn't excellent artists at that time in third grade. And so when my teacher had seated us next to each other, I started paying attention to some of the drawings that that he did. And I was just kind of like enthralled with what he did. And I started drawing 
I started basically copying his style of drawing people and things. And after a while, I noticed that I, I developed my own thing. And so I was able not to just look at what he was doing, but I had my own style and love for drawing and it just kind of developed uh, from there. And I really kind of discovered that being an artist was something that I had residing in me. And so that's a love that that just continued to develop. And when uh, when I discovered superheroes, that was one of the main things that I that I did at that point was draw all the characters, mm -hmm. Spider-Man, Thor, Hulk, all, all of them. And at one point in my life, I did want to be an, uh, an artist for Marvel. I mean, it, it was just, it worked hand in hand because I had this love for these characters and I was able to, to draw them too. Um, and then I even drew some of my own characters and created them. So it, it definitely did one thing fed the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with your superheroes program, now was that a one-time thing that you did here or is that something that you've done again, you know, repeatedly and hope to do in the, again in the future? Yes, I have a program called Black Superheroes and it started out as a one-time thing probably within my first year here because it was done as a black history program and because of that love of art and and uh, superheroes I just thought we'll try to use it as an avenue to maybe draw some young people to look into some of the graphic novels and characters that are in these uh, graphic novels the way that I enjoy them and definitely during that time the superhero movies were still uh, were a big thing and so to involve that kind of interest and that the public as a whole had for them I thought maybe let's try a program that's based on superheroes and then uh, particularly black superheroes uh, which may maybe not a lot of the public and young people know about some of them and even in the preparing for that first program just from some of my colleagues uh, getting some information, websites, and different things, I was able to even learn about some heroes that I had never heard of. And so it was really an incredible thing. And I just decided to actually make that an annual kind of thing. So definitely I'm planning on having it this next February. So if anyone would like to uh, come and check that out, the Black Superheroes program here at uh, Portland will happen um, actually the last day of February, okay. February the 29th. It's a Saturday, and it'll be uh, 1.30 that day. Okay. And along with that, I am going to have the opportunity to present Black Superheroes at the Bonaire Regional Branch Library. That'll be that Monday within that same week. I think that's the 24th, I believe. Okay. But that Monday uh, evening. Oh, that's great. I'm glad that it's expanding and all those other branches invite William Sutton to come in <laughs> and do his program for you. So I'm, I'm curious. I know like Black Panther, you know, mm -hmm. like that got a lot of interest and enthusiasm, which was awesome. But who yeah. are some of the other black superheroes that you have focused on? In your in your program, 
definitely Luke Cage, which um, some folks may have have been able to find out about him through the Netflix series that he had. He had, I think, two seasons of that. And then he also appeared in a few other Netflix episodes or or series, uh, Jessica Jones and uh, The Defenders. Then there's Storm, uh, which folks will know from uh, the X-Men movies and X-Men comic books. There are others, Misty Knight, Bumblebee, who is a DC character. Uh, She is within DC's Teen Titans group. Cyborg, who is one of the uh, Justice League members. He appeared in the Justice League movie that came out about a couple years ago. And then there are others, Brother Man, who is an independent comic, The Ant. She's part of Image Comics. And there are a number of others. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're yeah. putting you on the spot. You, you don't <laughs> have to remember <laughs> all of them. But, but it's, it's very cool to think about comics because, you know, like the Thor and, and Captain America, you know, they kind of get a lot of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But... But I think it's really cool just to kind of delve in there and see, you know, that there's this whole range of superheroes that kids can emulate, yeah, you know, that yeah. they've got a, a range that they can find themselves in the superhero genre, which is very cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is important for African-American kids to be able to see themselves uh, in these graphic novels, to see, like we were talking about, males Mm -hmm. being seen within public education and in the library system, uh, to know that males do exist. (laughs) Well, uh, it's important for African-American kids and other kids Mm -hmm. to be able to see that black superheroes uh, do exist in the realm of books and movies and TV. And so that there are those folks that they can emulate. I mean, they may not have superpowers uh, like Black Panther or Luke Cage, but they can know that they can take their own superpower, as as you will, whatever is special about them. And it can be an important part in uh, influencing others' lives, influencing their communities, their schools, families, that they can do special things. Well, I was just going to ask you your influences. Would you say that your reading influences were really with the comic books? Or how did your love of reading begin? Wow. Uh, Definitely comic books, a big part of that. I would say it probably began as a as a result of the teachers that I had in elementary school and my my parents as well I remember there being uh, quite a few books at our house there was a I remember a closet that was just filled with all kinds of books and it's kind of funny too my uh, my grandparents I remember them having this old dictionary and I mean it was a huge thing <laughs> and it it sat in, in a nook in their dining room, uh, but it had these little drawings of certain things that that definitions went along with. But I, I remember just sometimes just picking it up and just going through it, looking at the pictures and reading the definitions and learning new words. And it was 
kind of a nerdy thing to do, but but sometimes I would I would do that. Those kind of things I remember just I think developed uh, a love of reading. My childhood church I remember reading in Sunday school teachers having me to read certain things out of the little booklets that we had and all of that played a part in me developing a love for for reading and books. So for the story times that you do, are there some books that always go over well with the kids, some favorites of theirs? Oh yes, there's one in particular. It's called The Book With No Pictures by B.J. Novak. I don't know if you... Yes, <laughs> yes, I know which one you're talking about. That's a funny one. It is, it is. And whether I'm doing a, a story time at Neighborhood House or uh, with the kindergartners at Portland Elementary or wherever, they always ask for that one. Always. It never fails. And I have to tell them, well, I brought some other cool books. Uh, they're, they're just as cool, too. Uh, but they want to hear the book with no pictures. What, do, what is it about that book that you think? Because I know, like, I read it to my sons and I thought it was really funny and sometimes if a book is funny for an adult Mm -hmm. it doesn't always translate as being funny for a kid but that one that one does so I mean do you have any insights on on why you think that is I know one of the teachers who usually come with uh, the Portland kindergartners she kind of remarks that there's just a way that I have of reading it that (laughs) <laughs> makes it super that makes fun. It, yeah, makes it super <laughs> fun. And so uh, I guess I just try to have fun with it when I'm reading mm-hmm. it. Hopefully that's what transfers to the kids, and I guess that's what they what they see out of it. It is, it is a, a joyful book to read, and so I can't blame them for asking for it because I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We're back with William Sutton, and I'm here with Carrie, too. Carrie, we've had the winter break, a long time to to read. What have you been reading lately? So I am actually about halfway through an audiobook. I am listening to Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. She has been on my to-read list for a very long time. She is an african-american sci-fi writer female sci-fi writer so she's kind of a superhero in her own regard so this is narrated by lynn thigpen uh so you've probably seen her on television the book was published in 1993 it's a dystopian sci-fi book and the main character starts out and she's about 14 or 15, maybe a little bit younger. I'm at the point where she's about 17. She lives in California. She is a, an African-American girl. And society is, is really on the downslide. She lives in a small community where they sort of have a gated community. It's very dangerous outside. Society is, is more or less falling apart. Climate change has 
gotten horrible. Basically, it's a it's a total downer of a book. I'm I'm having a hard time reading it and keeping my mood, uh, you know, like in check. But there is this underlying current of hopefulness. All these things are going wrong. Her her brother was killed. Her father is missing and assumed dead. But she is kind of redefining what God is. And it's this undercurrent of hopefulness, this undercurrent of what she is going to become. Um, you know, I, I try not to do a whole lot of research on the front end because otherwise, I, why read the book? But I get the sense that she is sort of like a going to become like a prophet or create this new understanding of God. It's fascinating also because she is a she's a teenager. She's a young person. And so it's about her dealing with her own development as a person in the midst of society falling apart. And so she's at the point where she is deciding, am I going to leave? Am I going to leave this safe environment that is very slowly becoming unsafe and leave and try to go to Oregon or Washington? And whether she's going to go alone or with her boyfriend, at this point, I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen. Have you read Kindred? I have not read Kindred. I haven't either. And I feel like I am lacking that I have not read it. But my husband, he reads a lot of graphic novels as well. And there's a graphic novel version of Kindred, mm-hmm. which he has loaned me that's next to my bedstand. I haven't started it yet. I was just curious if you had read it, mm-hmm. how they compared. No, but. no, I have not. And there's a second book. So this is a duology, I guess. Um, there is a second book. I think it's called Parable of the Talents. Like I said, she has just been on my list of writers to read. And it has that typical, I guess, teenage dystopian flavor but she was one of the first you know Mm -hmm. she was before divergent she was before hunger games she kind of led the way so it's it's interesting for me to see this and also you know we we were talking with you william about black superheroes and Mm -hmm. so it's not very often that you see a black dystopian protagonist and so this is kind of unique and and I'm really enjoying it although I was thinking about it and it relates to our conversation with Alex Harrow because in her fantasy book she has a a character a female who's biracial Mm -hmm. and so we talked with her about how giving a voice to a person who maybe historically has not had a voice mm. in a major way. So I'm enjoying it. But like I said, it's sort of, it, you know, it's a dystopian book. It's sort of a downer. So <laughs> other than that, you know, I'm also reading a book about Vincent Van Gogh. So I just really need, I need something happy after I finish these two books. Need something happy. So William, what have you been reading? Well, of late, I've started an audio book, uh, The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And I've enjoyed it so far. It's kind of funny that uh, a few minutes ago it popped on yeah. inadvertently. <laughs> Which is so cool. That's what you want to have happen, that the librarian you're interviewing, his audiobook pops up in the middle of the interview. <laughs> That's just perfect. But yeah, I, I have been enjoying it. The book itself, it's written from a standpoint of uh, being a set of letters by a demon 
named Screwtape. And this demon, Screwtape, is writing letters to his nephew, who is also a demon, named Wormwood. And it's a series of letters where Screwtape, who is the older, wiser uncle, is trying to advise his uh, nephew on how to basically capture the soul of this and they and he calls him a patient of this young guy that apparently Wormwood is trying to work on to try to lure him to the dark side if you will to get him to stop following God and following Christ it's been really insightful what I've read but it's also in one sense kind of humorous because I guess the perspective that C.S. Lewis wrote it from, uh, but even in its humor, it's definitely insightful because it's kind of like giving you inside a locker room kind of conversation with the uh, opposing team, if you will, and kind of giving you an insight of what the opposing team is thinking about you. That's fascinating. I mean, I've heard of that book, but I had no idea what it was about. In fact, I thought it was a selection of essays that he had written. (laughs) So to find out that it's actually fiction, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's 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 been a good a good read so far. And you also mentioned that you've been delving into a a graphic novel. I love hearing about graphic novels, so I gotta ask. (laughs) Yes, I I just recently started a graphic novel called uh, Storm, and it's about Storm, the female (laughs) X-Men character. It deals a lot with her childhood and uh, who she was before she actually became Storm. It deals with her as being, um, where her real name, Aurora Monroe, as a child who has been uh, orphaned and is basically living on the streets with a group of other orphans. And these orphans, they basically kind of watch out for each other and are uh, supporting each other by stealing things from unsuspecting people and, and, and using those and selling them to have money to survive. Aurora, at this point in time, is about 13 or 14, I believe she said. And so she's having some bullying issues with an older teenager who seems to be, I guess, jealous of her. Uh, it, it's, it's been interesting. Eventually, I think it's going to get to the point where she ends up meeting a young T'Challa, who is, of course, mm, the Black Panther. Yeah. I haven't gotten quite that far yet. And it's actually written, um, this particular issue is written by uh, Eric Jerome Dickey, uh, mm-hmm. who is well-known African-American writer. He doesn't usually write graphic novels. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to, to, uh, to read that and see his take on that. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy, what have you been up to? So I just finished a thriller. I don't read a lot of thrillers, but I do read some. And I read this one right over New Year's, which was perfect because the book is set over New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. It's called The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley. And it came out early 2019. And... It struck me as sort of a modern Agatha Christie. It's the type of mystery where you 
someone is murdered. There's a lot of people and everyone is, is stuck in a, in a large house or a manor or somewhere. And, and you know that whoever did it is also among the people. So that's the type of book that it is. So the basis of the book is that there are nine friends from college and every year they go on a trip to catch up with each other over New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And this particular year, they go to a remote Scottish hunting lodge. And we find out very early on that this lodge is so remote that if there's a big snow, there's no way in or no way out. And it's utterly isolated. And so there you go. <laughs> there you go. So the chapters alternate point of view between about five different characters. There's nine college friends. There's also three people who work at the lodge. So that's your sort of your cast of characters. So you get the sense of all the little secrets, the little slights, the little betrayals that people have sometimes when they've known each other a long time. And all of these could perhaps be the motive for a murder. We find out little tidbits about the employees at the lodge and how they are or are not suspects because they also have their own, their own histories. So the thing that made this one unique to me was that you find out right away that there's been a murder. You find that out in chapter one, but you don't find out who exactly has been murdered until the very end, only right before you find out who perpetrated the murder. That's unusual, and it's a clever setup, and it's one that I really enjoyed because not only are you trying to figure out who did it, you're trying to figure out who's (laughs) dead to begin with. So the author does drop some little clues, and and I thought I had it figured out who was murdered about halfway through, but I did not guess the scenario or the murderer until it was revealed to me at the very end. So really the twist in this book is the structure of it and not so much some outlandish, implausible twist that I think is so common among a lot of thrillers today and that I'm kind of over. Uh, I feel like a lot of them sort of jump the shark as far as like trying to shock the reader with some new crazy twist. And so what I really liked about this was that there wasn't anything super implausible about it. It was more of the structure and it made for a really engaging read. And so I think it should get more buzz than it than it has. So I'm curious. I know you mentioned not too long ago uh, a book where like each chapter was kind of from a different character. Mm-hmm. That was the seven and a half oh, right, deaths right. of. Mm-hmm. It's not as confusing as that. Not as confusing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that was. But you had started that one as an audio book. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Uh-huh. And now I have heard that this one is a good audio book. Some, okay. Somebody else. That I know, I saw her review on Goodreads, and she had reviewed the audiobook version and said that she really, really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, but not as confusing and hard to keep up with no. character-wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nope. All nope. right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to be asking William his top five. We are back with William Sutton, and we are going to be asking him his top five. So you have an interest in superheroes. Interest might be the wrong word. Maybe obsession (laughs) would be a better word. This is kind of two questions in one. But are you a DC or Marvel fan? Do you have a preference, one over the other? Growing up, when when my friends and I were buying those uh, comic books at the local store, I would definitely say... Marvel was the choice. At least back then, to me, I resonated with Marvel characters because they were, in one sense of the word, more real 
to me, their storylines, even though you had these folks who had incredible superpowers, they still dealt with really human relationships and problems and uh, storylines. And I think that made Marvel Comics more appealing to me. Okay. So but here's the actual top question. Who is your top favorite superhero? That's more of a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Goodness. Kind of change depending on what day. (laughs) That's the problem with asking a a, a real fan about who their favorite superhero is. Like, I hate it when people say, what's your favorite book? Right. I I don't know. Right. Right. But I've always liked Hulk. I've always liked Luke Cage. What is Luke Cage's superpower? I was never sure about that. His superpower was super strength, for one, and then he had what Marvel uh, used to term uh, okay. steel tough skin. That's okay. that's what they called it. And so because of this steel tough skin, he was bulletproof. So there is kind of a connection between Hulk and that, then. They're both sort of like right. yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. big I've got to interject something here that I think you'll appreciate, William. So my middle son loves superheroes and comics and all this stuff. Well, when he was really little, he started asking me questions about Stanley. Oh, yes. Stanley. Stanley. And he kept, you know, Stanley, Stanley, Stanley. And I'm like, who is Stanley? And then finally, he's like, you know, the comic book guy. And I'm like... Stan Lee? And he was like, yes, Stan Lee. So anyway, I had to share that with you because I thought being a Marvel person that you would appreciate that. And now we just, we bring up Stan Lee a lot because we're so sad that he's gone. Yeah, yeah. So our second question is, if you could be a superhero, what is the top special power that you would want? It's funny, that was a hard one, uh, and I had to think about that one last night. I was thinking, well, liking Hulk and liking Power Man, who's also Luke Cage, that was his tag name. Super strength is awesome. But then I thought, well, somebody who can fly, and there's, of course, a myriad of of characters who can fly, and that would be awesome to be able to just take off and go from one place to to another. But then I thought on a practical level uh, for me, which I like Flash as a character, but I think having super speed would just really be awesome for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) Because if I had Flash's speed, I could just get so much, so much <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could just propel my my, my uh, ability just to finish stuff. Yeah, to get ahead of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this one too. I love to go new places, but I hate the getting there. Okay. So I think I would want to have. I mean, transportation it, tra- yeah oh. so it's kind of called? like even if i had like a portal key like harry potter i mean that would be mm-hmm. okay too but 
but I would want it to be transferable. So it wasn't just me. It would be like oh, okay. I could touch or, or people could touch me and we could all go, mm -hmm. you know. And so that way it wouldn't have to wait in airports, <laughs> wouldn't have to be in the car for eight hours with my family. Although that's a good way to listen to audiobooks. But, you know, that would be yeah. that would be so helpful on a practical level. So I think Nightcrawler from the X-Men had had that ability. OK, yeah. I'll have to look that up because yeah. that would be super, super helpful. So you've mentioned that you have a background in art. So tell us what is hand lettering and what's the top reason you enjoy it? Well, hand lettering has really been uh, something that's become popular within the last, last several years that I know of. It basically involves taking wording of any kind. Uh, a lot of times it may involve uh, inspirational quotes or uh, scriptural quotes or different types of sayings and making them artistic and, and creative in the sense of maybe not depending on a font, if if you will, a type, typographic font, but actually taking your own ability to hand letter and that can take the forms of different kinds of methods. There is calligraphy, which is a type of hand lettering and I enjoy I've enjoyed doing that over the years. I'm not an expert, I would say at it, but it, it's something that I definitely dabbled in uh, over the years and I, I like doing that. Some folks may not think of graffiti as mm. being mm. hand lettering, but it, it really is. You're sending a message that utilizes letters, but you're doing it in such a creative way. And some of the graffiti that I've seen, and I know maybe some folks will say it's an eyesore and whatnot, but I've been amazed at, at some of it that I've seen. And so with some of what I've started to do and delve into. I really want to take uh, aspects of graffiti, calligraphy, and other just hand-lettered methods and fonts and put them to paper and utilize quotes by famous folks and, and maybe scripture, maybe songs, and just different forms to bring some of those sayings to light in a way that's also visually mm -hmm. appeasing. So it's just another piece of graphic art, really. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yes. just with, with, with words and with letters. That's just really cool. Yeah. So I have never done any hand lettering. But in <laughs> high school, I was my yearbook editor. And what I will say is my favorite part of, of designing yearbook, which is, I'm sure, with other kind of print things, was the font. And picking out the typography, mm -hmm. to me, was one of the coolest things. That's, but it makes a huge difference. I mean, it's just super fun, all the different fonts. So mm -hmm. while that's not me actually doing any hand lettering, <laughs> that's my appreciation <laughs> of, of that. So. so one of your interests includes the Bible. What is your top story from the Bible? Do you have one? I would say uh, maybe one of my top stories is about uh, Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis. And I guess because there are just so many aspects and so many things that can be learned from looking at his life and the things that he went through, the betrayal of his brothers, actually selling him off as a slave, and that in low of just 
getting rid of them, killing them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they felt like selling him as a slave was a, maybe a better option. At least one of his brothers felt that way. And just the whole journey that he went through from becoming a slave in Egypt, even though he was a, a slave, he was still, because of really the blessing that he had from God on his life, he was made successful even as a slave, and he was promoted in that situation which he was in and was actually made to be a manager of sorts of his master's household. Wrongfully, he was put in prison, but even in the midst of being in prison, he never seemingly got down. I don't know, maybe there were some points where it did, but it didn't just completely cause him to check out and give up. Even within the prison that he was assigned to, he ended up being a manager even in there. So he apparently, there was something about his personality that just caused him to bounce to the top and he didn't get down. And uh, He was a resilient guy. He was really a resilient guy. Yeah, and so there's so much that can be learned from that. And then toward the end of the story, he ended up being second most important person in the land of Egypt at that time. And so uh, he was brought to that level. And even when he was brought to that level, when he had opportunity to really get revenge on his brothers for what they had done to him, he didn't do that. He forgave them. And he basically told them that what they did to mean harm for him actually turned out for good because it allowed him to be in a position where he was able to serve a lot of people and, and save a lot of people's lives because of the position that he was put in and the wisdom that he was blessed with. And so it was, it's, it's an awesome story, mm -hmm. an awesome read. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. When you're not here at the library, what is your top way to spend a day? What do you like to do? I love hanging out with my wife of now 23 years, Jackie, just at a restaurant, a movie, or or whatever. A Marvel just, movie, right? A Marvel movie, yeah, yeah, and she's on board. Awesome! <laughs> she is on board. And it, it's Match made in heaven. Yeah, 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 and it's kind of funny because we may go to a movie and she'll ask me if I know anything about this particular character or the storyline or background of, of a particular uh, superhero or character. So it's, it's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It has been so much fun oh. meeting you and, and hearing about what you do at the Portland Library. And just I can see you have such a great voice. I can see why the kids <laughs> love listening to you because I'm just like, I could listen to him all day. You've just got a wonderful, wonderful voice. So thank you so much for letting us take time out of your day. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Carrie and Amy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. 
Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.